This is Harvey Bennett, and you're listening to Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7 FM LP in Pasco, Tennessee, streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour. It's going to be 21 turbines. What do you want? Yeah, on this, this, on this, project. in this project. Yeah. The estimate was maybe there would be three full-time jobs. If the goal is to try to make Vermont the leader in climate change, I appreciate looking to the sky in the hopes that we can do that. But more importantly, I'm personally looking at the ground thinking this is not the kind of legacy I'd want to leave to my kids. When I was a kid, we'd go hiking in these woods. We would be able to drink from the waters down the hill here. And now you have to question that. That was a portion of Michael Moore's new movie, Planet of the Humans. Here's a quick portion of the discussion that Tom and Harvey and I had concerning the movie. Uh, you know, I feel kind of betrayed by Michael Moore. Well, you know, he, he didn't have much to do with that film other than, as far as I know, maybe getting the money together, yeah. and distribution. You know, they've already pulled it off of one outlet, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, but still, he's got his name on it. And Oh, yeah, no, he's all out there. So that was just a little portion of the discussion we had and the concerns that are obviously there. But before we get to that, here's Harvey to tell you who we are. I'm here with Jim Wolgamuth and Tom Gross, fellow veterans. Actually, I'm here as a special guest since I am no longer on the official staff over there at WRFN. But I'm doing, doing the best I can down here in Charleston. We're members of Veterans for Peace, an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace by using our experiences and lifting our voices, such as they are, for the causes of peace, humanity, and justice. And let's not forget equality. Our network is comprised of over 140 chapters throughout the country and worldwide. Our radio show is on stations from coast to coast. We are now meeting <clears throat> through Zoom. So if you'd like to be part of our next meeting, uh, it will be the second Tuesday of the month. Send us a text to 703-403-6135 and we'll send you the link. Remember, you can also get a link to the show. Go into our Facebook page, Veterans for Peace, Chapter 089, or follow us on Twitter, VFP Radio Nashville and at VFP Radio. Oops, at VFP 89 Radio. And to find any of our shows, just go to bit.ly slash VFP Radio Hour. Okay. If you are a station online or on the air and would like us to send you our show, just text us your email to 703-403-6135. President Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are underwritten in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing common sense into our bipolar world of American politics. Just go to greenpartyoftennessee.org to learn more. All right, happenings. We're still stay at home. Not much happening, right? Just a lot of rallies and online webinars and online everything. Yeah, online it's everything. Zoom fest. Yep, Zoom yeah. fest. Zoom fest. And uh, some more happenings. Workers Dignity is sponsoring a caravan. Uh, here's what they say. Join us for a caravan on May Day to celebrate the power of the working class, demand negligent employers step up to protect their employees and show support for the essential workers that are keeping Nashville going during this uncertain time. So that's going to be May Day. That's going to be May 1st at 930. Um, for more specifics, go to the Workers Dignity Facebook page. Also, on May 4th, we're going to have the 50th year commemoration 
of the Kent State Massacre Murders. And this is sponsored by Revolutionary Social Network. This is going to be a virtual rally, a virtual rally. And it's sponsored by the Revolutionary Socialist Network. So this is on May 4th, the 50th anniversary. And so go online for uh, to participate in this virtual memorial rally commemoration and go to Revolutionary Socialist Network. And of course, as you probably can figure out next week, our show will be remembering Kent State. Okay, so on with the show. Let's get to our discussion uh, between Tom, Harvey, and myself uh, about Michael Moore's new movie, Planet of the Humans. We all watched it. We were all very concerned. So here's our discussion. Today we have an exciting show because we're going to be talking about the new uh, film that came out uh, on YouTube uh, by uh, executive producer, I guess, Michael Moore is the one behind it. And uh, it was called Planet of the Humans. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I think it will be free on YouTube for a while. And last I heard, no distributor will touch it with a 10-foot pole. So that may be your only way to see it. <laughs> so, it's not uh, like they were going to see it in. It's not like they were going to see it in the theaters anytime soon. Mm -mm. That's true. And perhaps who knows? Maybe Netflix will pick it up. Yeah. So before we get too deep, let's listen to a little bit of the uh, audio from the movie. I was getting the uneasy feeling that green energy was not going to save us. And I wasn't the only one. I've counted something like 25 different alternative energy options. So surely among all of those, there, there are enough sources of energy to keep us living basically the way we are in perpetuity. Uh, that's not the reality. You know, we currently we're getting, in some cases, no energy from these potential options. Richard York of the University of Oregon published a study in the journal Nature in which he posed the question, do non-fossil energy sources actually replace fossil fuels? Well, we implicitly assume often the substitute pushes out the, the thing you want it to substitute for. What you find is nations that add non-fossil energy sources do not seem to see a particular suppression of fossil fuels. That's pretty mind-blowing. We've got billions of dollars being spent, and green energy is not even replacing fossil fuels. They don't even know that that's a question. Yes. The story that we're, we're in right now is, okay, we're in ecological hot water, but there are technological fixes. And if we're just creative enough, if we're just ingenious enough, and if we just work hard enough, we will triumph. Seeking technological fixes one after another is simply going to to lead us to another level of catastrophe sooner rather than later. We want to believe that these things are going to be available for us. So if, if we get a little worried and somebody comes up with uh, a new thingy and promises that, you know, this, this, will, this will do it for us, we want to believe. Because we're a little worried, are we desperate to accept any idea that sounds alternative or green? Are we avoiding looking too closely because we don't want to know the answer? Ozzie Zenner, a visiting scholar at UC Berkeley and Northwestern University, was asking some of the same questions. I mean, I thought that solar and wind were probably very good solutions. I mean, it wasn't really even that long ago. One of the most dangerous things right now is the illusion that alternative technologies like wind and solar are somehow different from fossil fuels. Well, I hear a lot of the times that solar cells are made out of sand. Have you ever thought about solar panels? The main ingredient that makes them work is silicon or sand. This is the raw material chips are made of, sand. They don't use sand at all. So they use, I'll show you what they so this is, this is one of the, the ingredients. It's actually mined quartz. 
Spruce Pine, North Carolina, regarded as the finest source of high-purity quartz in the world for semiconductor, solar, and communication applications. But you can't use sand because sand has too many impurities. So you start with a very high-quality quartz and a very high-quality coal. And then you put those two together into uh, an arc furnace and you melt them. The quartz is then melted with coal in a large furnace at temperatures of up to 1,800 degrees. So you need more coal to do that. So let's get another coal out. <laughs> so when we melt these together, we get silicon metal and carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide just goes off and you got rid of the carbon, you're left with silicon metal. This is not clean coal. Not clean coal. <laughs> Ozzy Zenner said it was an illusion that renewables were replacing coal or any fossil fuel. Now in that clip, we heard from author Richard Heinberg. Don't know his credentials. We also heard from Richard York, an environmental sociologist. Sociologist. We also heard from Nina Jablonski, an anthropologist, and Ozzy something, a visiting scholar. A visiting scholar. I don't know what that is. Okay, with that, let's get back to our discussion between Tom, Harvey, and Jim, none of us who are scientists either. So, Jim, what do you think? Well, you know, at, 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 yeah, as we get into our conversation, um, you know, Michael Moore is the executive producer, which is, after watching the film, I was pr pretty disappointed in it, but... Um, uh, they, it's also seemed to be the, the product of this guy, Jeff Gibbs. Um, he seems to be the one that, uh, that put the thing together. So, uh, you know, uh, either way, either way, it's a, it's a movie that has some issues and we want to talk about those issues today because it, it was released, I think, on Earth Day. That's right. And okay. so uh, it, uh, it, it is shocking to say the least with regard to how it throws the environmental movements under the bus. So, Tom, what, do you th what did you think? Well, uh... I was fairly disappointed from many aspects, but I'll just start out with, as a piece of documentary, documentary journalism, I think the, the piece itself has some, like you said, some topics that need to be discussed, but the quality of journalism there in terms of representing things as they actually are, or at least an attempt to show all sides of an issue is completely lacking as far as I can tell. It reminds me a little bit of what used to happen to me in the days when I was doing various kinds of activism and a reporter would come out with a preconceived conclusion and he would spend 45 minutes to an hour with us and we would mostly end up on the cutting room floor because we didn't fit into the mm -hmm. view of the director. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's well, a fair yeah. amount of that kind of editing. The, my other question, I mentioned this a few times already about the film itself. I'm wondering how they put the footage together because some of it is very old. Yeah. Some of it is absolutely 12 years old. Well, it, ha it has to be. Oh, over a decade old. Yeah. So if you're talking about now, why would you show footage that is that old? And I think he even said that they'd been working on it for years and years. But when you're, when, when you're giving information that's no longer accurate, you, you just can't do that. No. Yeah. So they've, they violated a lot of journalistic uh, edicts. I, would edicts. Say. I found an article um, and it's in, uh, let's see, where was it? Oh, it's in a website. Well, it's actually referred to me from mass, mass.peaceaction, Massachusetts Peace Action. 
And this is an article that came out um, right after the film. And so it's by Timon Wallace. And I'll, I'll quote a couple of things he says. Um, he, he starts off, it is hugely disingenuous and frankly misleading to hide in the credits at the end of the movie, the fact that two of the leading organizations being damned in the movie for their support of biomass as green energy, meaning 350.org and Sierra Club, do not now in fact support biomass anymore. And he says at that point, Bill McKibben deserves an apology for being misrepresented in this film, even if he was a supporter of biomass at one point in his career. And equivocal about it at other points since then. So he's talking about that in particular. And that's one of the things I, and maybe you guys are, well, I know you guys are a whole lot smarter than I am and more aware, but this is one of the good things about the movie was that it did point out what biomass is. And biomass is a scam. Biomass yeah. is clear-cutting forests so that we can burn the, burn the green trees and produce energy. And so that was one of the good parts about the movie where they condemn biomass. The problem was that along the way, they also condemned Bill McKibben uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. and Van Jones, which uh, seem to be caught off guard and obviously from years ago. Yeah, well, they also indicted pretty much Earth Day. Most people that go to events like that, they uh, pretty much indicted the Obama administration for not really executing what they claim. Uh, and I think in general, they didn't go out of their way to interview those people uh, who could be spokespersons for what the environmental uh, policy makers mm -hmm. uh, want to create. Exactly. Now, Tom, <clears throat> you've got solar panels. I, yeah. used, I used to have solar panels. And so when I'm listening to that guy in the movie talking about 8% efficiency uh, coming off of a, the solar array there. And that if you want higher efficiency, you got to go to NASA for a million dollars a couple of square inches. I thought, time out. Those were not my solar panels. Mm -hmm. No, no. It, it, it was a total misrepresentation of what technology exists today. I mean, I have solar panels. The oldest ones are 20% efficient. And they're warranted for 25 years to produce at least 90% of the original wattage. Yeah. So uh, that's probably another scene that was recorded. I don't know when because I can't remember <clears throat> the last time I saw thin panel solar panels. That's what those were. There were thin film solar uh -huh. panels in that segment you're talking about. I've got a I've got a good article I found today uh, by Bill McKibben, <clears throat> dated August of 2019. So a year ago, a whole yeah. year ago. And the headline of it is "Don't Burn Trees to Fight Climate Change, Let Them Grow." It says all the solutions to climate change, ones that involve trees, make people the happiest. Earlier this year, when a Swiss study announced planting 1.2 trillion trees might cancel out a decade's worth of carbon emissions, people swooned. Last month, when Ethiopian officials announced that 23 million of their citizens had planted 350 million trees in a single day, the swooning intensified. Someone tweeted, this should be like the ice bucket challenge. Well, it may surprise you to learn that at the moment, the main way in which the world employs trees to fight climate change is by cutting them down and burning them. Across much of Europe, countries and utilities are meeting their carbon reduction targets by importing wood pellets from the southeastern United States and burning them in place of coal. 
giant ships keep up a steady flow of wood across the Atlantic. <clears throat> Biomass makes up 50% of the renewable mix in the EU, according to Rita Frost, campaigner for the Dogwood Alliance, based in Asheville, North Carolina. Practice could be on the rise in the United States with new renewable energy targets proposed by some Democrats and Republicans in Congress, as well as by the EPA, treat biomass fuels derived from plants as carbon neutral, much to the pleasure of the forestry industry. Exactly. There's the scam. Lobbying groups are up, up on Capitol Hill working hard, said Andrew Alexander Wisner, associate director of the Rachel Carson, Carson Council. Story of how this happened begins with good intentions. Concern about climate change rose during the 1990s, back when solar power, for instance, cost 10 times what it does now. People casting about for alternatives to fossil fuels look to trees. Trees, of course, are carbon. When you burn them, you release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. But the logic went like this. If you cut down a tree, another one will grow in its place. If that tree grows, it will absorb carbon from the atmosphere, so in carbon terms, it would be a wash. Not really. In 2009, Middlebury College, where I teach, was lauded for replacing its oil-fired boilers with a small biomass plant. When that was in the film, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I remember how proud the students were who first presented the idea to the Board of Trustees. William Muma, a climate and policy scientist, who's published some of the most recent papers on the carbon cycle of forests, told me about the impact of biomass, saying, back in those days, I thought it could be considered carbon neutral, but I hadn't done the math. I hadn't done the physics. Once scientists did that work, they quickly figured out the problem. Burning wood to generate electricity expels a big puff of carbon into the atmosphere now. Eventually, if the forest regrows, that carbon will be sucked back up. But eventually, is too long. <clears throat> As the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change made clear, we're going to break the back of the climate system within the next few decades. For all intents and purposes, in the short term, wood is just another fossil fuel. And in climate terms, the short term is mostly what matters. Yeah. MIT study put it last year, while the regrowth of forests, if it happens, can eventually repay the carbon debt. That payback time ranges from 44 years to 104 years in forests in the eastern U.S. <clears throat> so as the scientific research on this carbon debt emerged in the past decade, at least a few of us in the environmental movement started voicing opposition to burning trees. Most yeah. effective leadership has come from the southeast where community activists have pointed out that logging rates are now the highest in the world. That figures, you know. There you go. Southeast is like, <clears throat> you're kind of like, you know, the tribes in the Amazon, they, they're expendable. <clears throat> exactly. So um, th that was part of the good part of the film because it enlightened me over biomass because I really um, did not know. When, when I heard about biomass, I thought, oh, they're, they're, they're burning cow poop. They're, you know, they're burning switchgrass. I didn't realize they were actually cutting down timber to chunk it up and then to, and then to burn it. I thought this doesn't make sense. So that's, so bringing that to, bringing that to the point, I think that is a good part about the film. And I would recommend people watch it just for that part. Because but they really, they, they unfairly portray Bill McKibben. Oh, they did. Yep. Yeah. And, and they unfairly portrayed Bobby Kennedy and Van Jones. And, you know, but it did explain biomass and it did highlight the logging industry, the capitalist behind <clears throat> biomass. I, I think a lot of their message that I was most receptive to was how the green energy movement has become corporatized. Yeah, exactly. Once it's corporatized, then you know, that, all they're thinking about is maximizing profit, not saving uh, the planet or anything else. But as far as I'm concerned, I think they would have done a better job if they had started, first of all, explaining how these things interact. For example, if we're going to talk about deforestation, we need to talk about 
the entire sphere of it. For example, at the end of the film, they show deforestation in Asia. Mm-hmm. When they show that poor orangutan that has yeah. been isolated. Well, you know, that's a perfect example of after that scene, instead of connecting it with our behavior, they just let it hang there like a moment you should be ashamed of, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But everyone should mm-hmm. be ashamed. Because the reason that forest is cleared is because we can't get our consumption of uh, palm products in order. That's why they're clearing that land because to, to make peanut butter, okay? Mm-hmm. A certain kind of peanut or butter, among other things. Stop looking at the food you eat and see how much palm oil is floating around. Yeah, palm oil uh, plantations are huge. We saw huge ones in Costa Rica. They just cut down the forest, and it's just as far as the eye can see. It's a monocrop, and that's the other problem with it. Mm -hmm. You know, but uh, you know, part of deforestation. I mean, that's why we started recycling paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, Exactly. This all connects with our lifestyle, but they could have spent more time explaining the interrelated system. For openers, I think the average person really needs to understand that first of all, you are not gonna eliminate carbon dioxide. That's part of the ecosystem. The point is to get it back in balance. Every living thing on this planet produces carbon dioxide, no matter what your lifestyle is. And if you're, and if you don't understand the relationship between energy and carbon dioxide, you probably are never going to be able to fathom the good choices versus the bad choices. Because ultimately, this is a consumer-driven issue. If we are not going to understand what choices we make impact the planet and how, we're going to have a hard time deciding who to vote for. And, and we're going to have an even harder time analyzing the policy they're recommending. Exactly. And that's you part know. of what's happened that they do display in the film, but they don't make the connection of how we actually got there. Yeah. So much of the, so much of the film had, uh, they take a comment from some dude, you know, who's, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you don't know who this guy is. And, uh, he makes a statement and they just run with it and, and you know yeah. okay that's all we need to know about that right <laughs> uh, so it was just to me just sorely lacking in any kind of uh hard facts that you could really use to try to evaluate anything they said well you know and also they alluded to and every once in a while would come right out and make the point that we are consuming too much and our lifestyles cannot continue as they are and have a sustainable planet. But then they'd go off and they'd start saying about uh, the problems with wind, the problems with solar, the problems with electric cars. And I'm thinking, doggone it. You need to focus more on just our consumptive society. And so um, while preparing for this, I went to, I, I knew there was studies out there and I just Googled how many planets would it take for everybody to live like Americans? <laughs> and it, there, you know, BBC sponsored a study um, and did an analysis of the study and it which, the United States, if everybody would live like people in the United States, it would take almost four planets, almost four, to support everybody on Earth. But you know what? We're number five. There are four countries worse than us. Four countries, including, including Australia and you know, and that one came out of the blue. Like, I have no idea, except they might drive everywhere, might have to drive everywhere. But then you have the typical, you have the typical victims like 
uh, Qatar, and some of those Middle Eastern opulent countries, not Saudi Arabia, but some of those smaller uh, countries. And I'm thinking, this is a point that they should have made a little bit more clear to an American public. Like, they, well, they said, it, like they said it, or they tried to say it, that we want our environmental energies to help us maintain the lifestyle that we still have. And that's just going to be impossible. Um, but they did too much slamming of the efforts. They did too much looking at the mines and the minerals and all the things that go into this when, all right, it goes into it, but all of these things, all of these sub stories, they go into everything. Yeah. And, and that's what was driving me crazy. They did like, I think you mentioned before, either Tom or Harvey, that they didn't go deeper. They just tried to criticize what we're trying to do from an environmental standpoint. And some of it was like, uh, almost like a, you know, a high school science project or something. <clears throat> yeah. Guys yeah. talking about silicone, uh, how they make silicone and he's showing these little quartz things and the lump of coal and all this. Yeah, that was, that was Ozzy Zayner, <laughs> who's uh, an engineer by training. Uh, I thought it was interesting that at one point when he was indicting uh, industrial solar uh, because their plant apparently came down and it didn't produce enough jobs, he, they had an aside where he indicted the whole solar industry because of silicon mining. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was thinking, gee, you know, if we're going to indict uh, silicon mining, I guess everyone will have to give up their cell phones and most of the technology they use on a daily basis. <clears throat> Has he never? Has he never heard of Silicon Valley? Yeah. <laughs> That's... But you know, during the film, he mentioned that he's been uh, accused of uh, working with the Koch brothers. Mm -hmm. And I, part of the way he operated in that film, I could see why why people would think that. I don't think he does work for the Koch brothers, but <clears throat> part of part of what was presented there was to get a reaction. Unfortunately, the way it's been presented, it did way too uh, broad of an indictment that unfortunately is going to be weaponized and is already being weaponized mm -hmm. by the people who want to deny that the planet is suffering. Yeah. Or, or by fossil fuel industry who are saying, okay, this just shows you why even bother with this green energy stuff. Exactly. Because it's exactly. not really better, it doesn't really work. Well, that, that brings up a point. Um, I could never, after getting through, after getting through the movie, I was wondering, what the heck is this guy's motive in putting this film together the way it's put together? Yeah. Uh, I mean, does he want to kill the Green New Deal as a concept? Does he want to kill solar? as a technology or wind as a technology yeah i can understand don't cut off the top of a mountain to put up windmills that made that portion of it made no sense at all what they're doing in vermont but you know but go through the midwest and put up windmills where the wind is always blowing and every once in a while you get a tornado you really spike the energy <laughs> um, uh, i just couldn't you know I would teach my kids in in, in uh, mid middle school. No matter what, always look for author's purpose. And I was really thinking, how could this guy be an environmentalist and put this film together? Because this is a film that's right out of Breitbart, that's right out of the Daily Caller, as far as a lot of stuff. Other than other than the indictment of capitalism, because the indictment of capitalism yeah. was there. Yeah, it was there. I think the other thing they didn't probably spend enough time on is looking how, looking at how policy uh, and 
programs from our utility companies uh, and the lobbyists thereof is part of what's created the blockade for the environmental movement to be more effective. Mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't really touched on. And I, I think that's where you feel hollow at the end of the thing mm -hmm. because you're not, you're not really presented with, well, what's the alternative to what's going on? One thing I thought they really sit around and let corporations yeah. and uh, you know ingenuine politicians run our life, or are we actually going to get on board with looking at our own impact on the planet? Well, I'm wondering how the Sunshine Movement and uh, Greta Thunberg's movement will react to this, because <clears throat> uh, I mean they certainly see the alternative, you know, renewable energy is part of the solution, but they also uh, strongly believe that uh, <clears throat> we need to radically change our economies and how we live. Uh, you know, we cannot continue to worship at the altar of growth. And there's no way the planet can, can uh, it doesn't have the capacity to keep, uh, that's right. Handling that kind of growth. Yeah, I mean, and and that's the that's the the core of capitalism. You've got to have growth. You've got to have more resources to supply that growth. You've got to keep moving. You can't just share what you've got already and understand we <coughs> finite. And uh, the other part of it is consumerism and the obsolescence that's built into a lot of the devices we produce. Right. Right. So they end up being part of landfill, part mm -hmm. of toxic toxic waste. Oh yeah, it's not a cycle that's you know repeatable forever. I wish they, if they, as long as they were attacking, you know, other energy sources besides fossil fuels. I wish they'd taken the time to uh, explode the myth of nuclear power as a solution. That's exactly right. They, <laughs> they, they didn't mention. They never nuclear. mentioned it. I mean, there's where, where a whole they? bunch of stuff they didn't get into. I, I, I think I mentioned to Jim earlier in the week. They, they didn't even talk about where we're at with recycling and the whole recycling industry, and how that's been corrupted and, you know, <clears throat> been pretty much compromised on certain levels. But oh, uh, yeah. plastics. Yeah. Nobody's recycling plastic anymore. You think you're recycling it? Yeah. No. So, uh, so some of what has to be done now, I think, probably for a little bit of time here is to get some feedback from some of the people they should have interviewed in the film, mm -hmm. which they did not. I've reached out to a few groups now. They've uh, sent me an auto response, but I think I'm probably going to hear from them in the next week. Uh, yeah. I'm speaking of the uh, Southern Alliance for Clean Energy and other nonprofit groups like that. But what I what I might mention is an, a group that they should have gone to in the film if they were going to uh, represent analysis of renewable energy would have been the Concerned Scientists Union. Sure, um, they've been studying this stuff forever since I can remember and. Uh, there was no mention of them because mm -hmm. guess what? Their analysis and their facts don't fit in with the conclusion that they wanted to present in the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, now I do have somebody that Harvey and I talked to and I want to see if, see if you can hear this clip while we, while we go through this. And so let me, let me just try it. And then I want to hear your, uh, your comments, especially Tom. So let's see if it'll so what work. What I did then was I played a clip of an interview that Harvey and I had done almost four years ago when we talked to Roy Scranton, professor of literacy at Notre Dame. Uh, he was also an Iraq combat veteran and he's part of the Veterans for Peace Advisory Board. He had written a book called Learning to Die in the Anthropocene about climate change in which he analyzed the situation we were living in and compared it to the approach he took while in combat 
in order to get past the fear and able to do his job and support his men. So let's listen to his perspective. Right, because global warming, global climate change is a situation that's already, it's already out of our control. It's already, we're already in it. It's radically transforming our world and it's only just begun. The feedback mechanisms that, that scientists talk about have already started. I was just reading an article today about uh, new reports of massive amounts of methane melting, melting out of uh, the Arctic uh, permafrost and escaping into the atmosphere. Methane is more than 20 times uh, more powerful than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. The methane leak, some people call it a methane belch, is one of the major tipping points in, in moving from just, you know, it's getting a little bit warmer, it's getting a little bit warmer to catastrophic runaway greenhouse warming, which is what's going to happen. Um, and it doesn't, I don't know that there's anything we are going to be able to do to stop it at this point. So we need to come to terms with that. We need to accept the fact that this way of life that we lead, this civilization that's, that's built around cheap carbon energy use, mainly coal and oil, is over, done. And the world that we live in with winters and summers and snow and Christmas is done. The world where we have a North Pole, where there's an, I mean, we'll still have a North Pole, but where we have like uh, um, an ice sheet over the North Pole all year round, that's done. Or polar bears. Polar bears, done. All of these things, you know, and, and the great diversity of animal life that, that we, to which we're just accustomed, it's over. All of it's over. And, you know, we haven't, we're living after the moment in, in which it's already done. It's right. It's like that moment. It's like the old Warner Brothers cartoons where Wiley e. Coyote is chasing the Roadrunner and he goes off a cliff, but he doesn't know it yet. He's still hanging out there in the air. That's us, right? Now. So, so yeah, well, I I think the points he makes are per perfectly valid. Uh, I would question his analysis of it's done. Uh, it's going. Everything he said is done is going to go on for many more decades, but the degradation is going to continue. The question is, uh, will we ever have the political will and or the knowledge mm -hmm. to accept the fact that mm -hmm. we need to start now with mitigating this? Yeah, mitigation is our only option at this point. And I think he's he, he comes out with that in his book, but... Uh, <clears throat> Mainly, he really says, uh, you know, how do we respond to a situation where uh, <clears throat> we know that we don't know exactly when. Is it going to be 50 years or is it going to be 75 years? Is it going to be 100 years? But is it going to be 20 the, years? I mean, we're still talking like only a couple generations yep. where uh, the, the Earth will be largely uninhabitable people <clears throat> yeah but for the, yeah, next, the, tipping the next point the tipping point has been passed yeah the next, the next uh, critical marker tomorrow it's too late <laughs> besides whether the next critical markers because of all this melting like he said these are feedback systems right. that create warning signals if we are not detached from the planet we are here to preserve right so uh, when we get detached and we don't connect our choices and our purchases and our policy with preservation, people before profits, then we're going to go down the path of room. Right. I, I want to go back to the article that I read that I was um, uh, really impressed with by Timmons in um, mass.peaceaction and you know one of the things he was saying because he, he 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 was complimentary and then he would nail the movie but he said come on people it's a transition yeah so when we're when we're talking about the problems with solar and the problems with wind and 
he, he was trying to point out it's a transition. And here I'll go back to him. Why is that so difficult to understand? Yes, it's going to be imperfect, it confusing, maybe even contradictory. But are you seriously going to stay put at your old house? Because he was talking about when you move from one house to another. And I thought Harvey could relate. I know I can relate. <laughs> you have boxes that are not automatically opened when you first move into your new house. So he says, but are you seriously going to stay put at your old house because you can't move into the new one perfectly all at once without lingering? No. So the point is, if we are, we're in a transition, we haven't got all the answers. We're trying to find some answers. And so it's good to point out some of the problems, but to point it out in the way he did does not serve a helpful purpose. No, and I think part of, part of what wasn't presented at all in terms of how you bridge the transition is the whole issue of energy storage, because that's a key with renewable energy. Right. And it has to do with batteries and, uh, fluids that can store energy and the grid itself and what policy is being employed to slow that process down instead of speeding it up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's so much of what I think should have been more exposed there. There were <clears> just bits and pieces of, uh, you know, fraud that's being committed by utility companies uh, under the guise of being green. Um, yeah, but there's a whole lot of uh, policy that needs to be reversed in terms of what is the transition about. I think you have to think about where we're at as being a giant tanker. How long does it take to turn it around? It, <laughs> it's it's a it's a patient activity. The guy in the wheelhouse doesn't think about being 180 degrees from where he's at in terms of seconds. He thinks about part of an hour. And, and that's kind of where we're at with the planet change. It took a long time for us to do this. We have to wind our way out of it. Yeah. Well, we've been talking for about 50 minutes. If you were to recommend would you recommend this movie to other folks? Well, I mean, I wouldn't censor the movie, but I would say, you know, look at it, uh, you know, come to it with some questions and think about, uh, I wouldn't certainly accept all the conclusions they come to based on uh, just, you know, almost haphazard interactions with people who happen to be, Near, you know, near the mic. <laughs> right. But it was, uh, you know, I mean, it's a lot like Michael Moore movies, you know, he he likes to do, he likes that interpersonal interview face to face, you know, and everything is, he's not a big data driven guy, you know, he's going to pull out a bunch of charts. He's going to show you the personal experience of people. Uh, <clears throat> but I didn't think that was very well suited to this topic. And Maybe. I don't, and I don't think he saw, I don't think you saw all the personal stories that would be oh, possible. Right. No, I, I don't know how much he was involved in the editing, but the idea that, you know, he backed it. I, I would say for the average person, if they want to use the film to further investigate what solutions are and how feasible they are, maybe that's a way to utilize it because the film itself is, almost devoid of suggesting real solutions that are feasible. Mm -hmm. That's the, right. that's what bothered me most about it. Yeah. It, it's not an uplifting film. That's almost nihilistic that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in the middle of the film, I don't know if you noticed, but there's this whole point where he goes to anthropologists and sociologists and has this whole Kafka-esque type exchange mm -hmm. you know yeah that's just all about uh, kind of a 
you know, fatalistic approach to life. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think was terribly spiritual. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> I, I got it. I know. I would, you know, at this point, I would recommend it um, to somebody with a grain of salt and say, take a look at the information about biomass. Um, that enlightened me. Of course, the way that he enlightened about wind and solar, you got a question, but you also can question. Um, take a look at the parts where he brings out the corporate backing of the of not only gore, but of biomass. And there's Bill McKibben and Sierra Club, who who both got trashed because of their connections with corporations. And yeah, so I, th I'd say, I think the other part of it that's pretty informative, but it could have gone farther, is the whole switch of power plants from coal to methane. Mm, is yeah. And it is, it is a lower carbon footprint when you make that switch. And that's how they're getting by with this narrative. But long term, it's not a viable solution. Not only, they don't even talk about fracking because I don't think fracking had even started when, when they made it. <laughs> yeah, that could be. There's a whole bunch of things that had never started. Right. right. I don't even know where to start in terms of how much science and research that they apparently are not even aware of. Right. Yeah. Don't want to be. Well, if we can ever find out, I'd like to see what Michael Mann from Penn State. Oh yeah. Has to say about this film. I'm going to keep track of him. I he did respond to one of my emails, so maybe I'll I'll write him. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, so, the interesting thing too is uh I read a piece on on uh, <clears throat> the pandemic and and all the isolation and the suspension of the economy <clears throat> and the notion of uh when can we get back to normal, normalcy? And, you know, that reminded me of Biden's pledge, you know, we just need to get back to normal. And, and normal is what got us here. Yeah. Folks. <laughs> normal yeah I, saw, I saw a video today of Jane Goodall, and she was making a plea. I hope when this is, you know, dealt with, she was speaking of the pandemic, we don't go back to normalcy. Right. Why couldn't we, I mean, I was just kind of fantasizing, but you know, right now we've got what, almost 30 million unemployed. We don't know, we could have 60 million unemployed in, in a few yeah. months, the way things are going. Uh, what is to stop us and, and to stop the economy itself from saying, okay, um, you know, this is going to be with us indefinitely. The only thing we can do is radically reduce uh, economic activity. Everybody's uh, work hours will be cut to one third of what they were working. Yeah. The rents will be cut to one third. You know, everything, the economy wide, they just cut, every, cut everything down a third. So no, everyone's expenses are only a third of what they were. Everyone's profits only a third of what they were, but look what you're doing. You're, you're getting blue skies for it. You, yeah, you it would be nice if we could look at the pandemic as an opportunity. Yeah, right. That, you know, like you look at a tornado or a hurricane, afterwards you rebuild and presumably you rebuild better. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we rebuild the society based on on the threats we're aware of now instead of just trying to go back to 1950. Yeah, well, the whole idea of, you know, the corporate control of the green energy movement, that a lot of that comes from the hyper-concentration of wealth that these influences yeah. these corporations have. Exactly. exactly. That, I think one thing for sure, though, you want to talk about capitalism, it's pretty clear that the rich folks and, and the concentration of wealth can't exist very long without workers. That's right. Look at what's happening. 
Yeah. That's the truth. So I want to finish up. I got another paragraph that I wanted to highlight from this article. And uh, he says at the end, and this is once again from mass.peaceaction. And I, I, I joined their group. I'm going to get their newsletter. This is pretty good stuff. He, sa- he says, Planet of the Humans does a great job of asking questions and challenging assumptions. Yes, we need to hold our political leaders accountable. Mm-hmm. We also need to hold the leaders of our environmental movement accountable. Mm-hmm. We need to be suspicious when big business billionaires like the Koch brothers are getting in on the act of the so-called greening economy. Mm-hmm. And we need to be constantly aware of the dangers of being co-opted, bought out, or otherwise compromised by those who re- whose real interests are making money, not saving the planet. So if we can take anything good, I think that's that's the well, point. One of, one of the things I remember in the movie is had Michael Bloomberg in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Closing how many coal plants? Yeah, because he's got tons invested in natural gas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is another case of trust, but verify. <laughs> That's yeah. right. And because if this happens, then we are going to go back to normal. If we let the oligarchs off, if we let the corporations, the capitalists off, this will take us back to normal where we won't, where we can't be and where it's, it just won't be sustainable. So there's our show and our discussion. Now, Tom saw a quick interview with Moore and Gibbs on the Sunday morning shows, which really skirted the issues in the film. But Michael Moore was quick to say that it had 2 million views. Now, I think Tom, Harvey, and I would all recommend that you see it. See the film. But see it with knowledge that there are issues and deficiencies and unfairness. However, it also points out the tentacles of capitalism and its continued detrimental effect on anything that it touches. It also informs on biomass and the scam that that industry is. And finally, it hints at our overwhelming consumerism and that the life we lead is not sustainable. And in order for our grandchildren and their grandchildren to survive and possibly thrive, we need to make changes and make changes quickly. So with that, I hope you found our discussion informative and helpful. And if yes, if you did, let me know. Send me a text to 703-403-6135. And just text, heard the show, and thank you. Heard the show and thank you. So let's finish up with a song that we have heard before on the show, which is kind of an anthem for the problems that our society and our culture has created. Have a good week. Bye now. They paved paradise, put up a parking lot. With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Paradise, put up a parking lot. They took all the trees, put them in a tree museum. And they charged the people a dollar and a half just to see them. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. Leave me the birds and the bees Please don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone The paved paradise put up a parking lot Late last night I heard the screen door slam 
but you don't know what you've got till it's gone. We paid paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs>